Now, on to what we are here to talk about today. I'm going to share a message today that is not a part of a series. Uh, those of you that are regulars know I normally preach in series. And uh, I, I'm just going to preach, I, I'm going to start next week on a series that I think you'll enjoy uh, that's called Unexpected Heroes. And it's going to be a character study focusing primarily on, on some characters from the Old Testament. But I, I think you're going to be uh, just really encouraged and find real joy and hope in looking at a bunch of different broken people just with major issues in their lives that God used in overwhelming ways. And I think you'll find that really encouraging for how God wants to use us. But today, I really felt impressed to call time out from jumping into that next series to preach a message that's just one standalone. And the reason that I'm delivering this is because it's just fresh in my life. And I'll go ahead and tell you on the front end, this is one of the simplest messages that you'll ever hear me preach. And in fact, there's a risk that you'll sort of set aside what I'm going to say today because it is so simple that it'll be tempting to kind of go, I can't believe that just doing that could really make that much difference. You ever have times like that where it's like something is just so profoundly simple that it's like, oh, that couldn't really make a difference. I already know about that. This is one of those messages, and it's one that God has been working deeply in my life. Uh, there are a couple of other pastors that Lee and I have the privilege of, of getting to hang out with and spend time just sharing and praying together with. And uh, I was with those other uh, couple of pastors uh, some number of weeks ago. We just took a, a retreat day to just be together to pray and to share together, uh, studying God's Word together, and to just take some time to just say, hey, what is God teaching you right now from His Word? Not what are you preaching, but just what, what is God speaking to you? And one of those two guys, who's one of my closest friends, uh, he shared some truths that God just really impressed deeply into to my heart that, you know, you just ever have those moments where it's like lights are suddenly coming on and things make sense even though it's really simple. And it was one of those moments. And, and I've just been putting into practice the simple truths that I'm going to share with you today and really felt impressed to share it with you as well because this is a real difference maker. And so I'm going to share with you a message entitled, How to Have More Joy and Less Stress. Who would want to sign up for that today? More joy and less stress. Well, who would have thunk? Everybody. We're all in the same boat. That We'd all like more joy and less stress. The problem is we always assume when we hear a title like that, yeah, if only you could live up to the advertising. If only the message could fulfill what's promised. I want to share with you just something very simple that really will allow that in your life. I, I read a definition this week of stress that I thought was pretty fitting. It said that stress is the confusion that is caused whenever your mind overrides your body's natural impulse to choke somebody who really deserves it. <laughs> and every married person and every parent of teens especially appreciates that definition, don't you? Stress is that that thing that you feel when your, your mind sort of trumps your body and says, no, you can't choke that person even though they deserve it. Well, that is the source of a lot of our stress. Uh, we're going to look today at how to break free from the control of stress and how to have a lot of real joy in life. And we're going to look together at a passage in 1 Thessalonians 5. If you've got your Bibles, you want to turn there, that's great. Or you can just use the outline in front of you. When Paul ministered in Thessalonica... He only got about three weeks there. It's really striking to think about. And I'm not going to teach a whole lesson on the book of 1 Thessalonians. But I've always been amazed to consider. Paul shows up in a city like Thessalonica. And they have no Christian witness whatsoever. To our knowledge, there are zero Christians when Paul comes to town. And Paul kind of went through the same thing in 
one community after the other, that he would go in and he would start by trying to find whatever Jews lived there so that there was some frame of reference about who the true God is, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the promises of the Old Testament concerning the Messiah so he could then preach Jesus to them and they would have some frame of reference for that. And he would start with the Jews and a few of them would get saved, but most of them would get mad and then he would wind up expanding that message to the Gentiles and by the time some Gentiles started getting saved, usually the angry Jews would have picked up stones and sticks and would run him out of town on a rail, beat the tar out of him and send him packing. And so that was kind of Paul's plan for, for missions. Uh, I know everybody wants to sign up for that plan. Well, in Thessalonica, he got about three weeks before he got run out of town by the angry Jews who were essentially saying, yes, we believe the scriptures that you're talking about, but we don't believe in this guy Jesus that you're talking about. Get lost. You're screwing up our religion. Well, here's the striking thing. In three weeks' time, he not only led a bunch of people to Jesus, but he had no Bible to give them. He had no website to send them to so that they could learn how to grow up in their faith. I mean, can you really begin to comprehend if you lived in a pagan land and you had never heard of Jesus and this guy comes in and tells you about Jesus and he gets three weeks with you, that's all he can invest, and then he's run out of town and now you've got to live out your faith in a world that's hostile to that faith. Well, you can imagine Paul was really concerned for these people and wondering there and in so many other communities how is this going to pan out I mean it'd be a different deal if he could say here's the New Testament in your language study it and grow in that faith he couldn't do that and so he's praying earnestly oh God don't let what we planted in them be be destroyed and so he writes this first letter back to the Thessalonian Christians and he, he begins just overjoyed saying I have heard the news I've heard the report of how your faith has just grown and, and how you've become a model that you you now instead of being the the infants that are needing somebody whose example you can follow you have become the example that others follow and now I point people to you and say hey just do it like they're doing it they've learned to follow Jesus isn't, isn't that amazing they didn't get to go through a discipleship class they got three weeks with Paul and how in the world could you then begin to mature in your faith can I tell you the secret <laughs> the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit is committed to bringing us toward maturity. But we need some clear instruction to go with that. And so Paul is writing instructions back to them. He's been encouraging them and congratulating them. But when he gets to 1 Thessalonians 5, you, you begin to appreciate how little time Paul had with them. And it's like, I've got to pack all that I can. There's so much that I didn't get to say when I was with them. And so we're only going to read like three or four verses. But these are some of the shortest verses in all the Bible, but they're just like super compact that he's just trying to throw everything in that he can. Just for fun this week, go back and read the second half of 1 Thessalonians 5, the whole of it. It's just, it'll almost make you dizzy how much Paul says in so few words. We're going to pick up in the middle of that where Paul says this, always be joyful, pray continually, give thanks whatever happens. Do you kind of begin to feel the, the tone here? It's like, I'm going to say in about two or three words at a time, all these different instructions, Always be joyful. Pray continually. Give thanks whatever happens. That's what God wants for you in Christ Jesus. And do not hold back the work of the Holy Spirit. That's a lot of instruction in just a few lines. And it begins with that line, always be joyful. Now, I'm just going to be honest with you. This is a passage that for most of my Christian life, I won't say that I hated it, but it seemed burdensome and silly in a way and, and here's why unless you think I'm, I'm just a pagan for saying that for starters the instruction always be joyful seemed rather silly to me always be joyful oh rats Paul that never occurred to us 
in the middle of our sadness and hardship and depressing days, if I had only remembered, always be joyful, that would have just fixed it all. That always felt to me a little bit like my mom's response. I always feel like I'm in dangerous territory because my mom watches us online a lot of times. So when I, when I mention the family, I'm always a little nervous. But, but I, my mom was the disciplinarian. I mean, well, they both did, but dad was at work a lot. So mom did most of the disciplining, and man, she did it well. Let me tell you, she knew how to swing a paddle with the best of them. And I deserved every one of them I ever got. Let me just, just say that. But my mom, on occasions, would just still be pretty ticked, even after she got through blistering our backsides. I say our, because my older brother and I, usually we would get them together. And, and I mean, we never had to, like, fake tears, because you cried when my mom paddled us. I mean, it was, it, was the, it was legit. You deserved to cry for a while. But sometimes, my mom would just still be so hot that, you know, she just didn't want to hear us cry after the fact. My mom was a, was a good person and a good disciplinarian, but sometimes she'd just be so fed up that after the paddling, she didn't want to hear us continuing to cry. And she'd say, you better dry it up or I'm going to give you something to cry about. <laughs> Any of you ever hear that from your mom? You know what I'm talking about. That always felt like salt in the wound right there. It's like, you're going to give me something to cry about. What do you think you just did? <laughs> Paul's instruction of just... Be joyful always, to me, felt about as meaningful as my mom's instruction. You better dry it up or I'll give you something to cry. But, you know, it's like, that's not helping me to feel any better. You're, you're not helping me to be any happier or have any more joy. You know, Paul, your instruction, be joyful always in the midst of my difficult day, my difficult week, my painful season of life didn't suddenly fill me with joy and then he follows that with an instruction that I just used to think truly was about the most burdensome passage in all the Bible. Pray continually. Again, I'm just confessing, but I, I have always felt like that I was sort of a subpar Christian when it comes to prayer because I always knew people who I felt like prayed longer, prayed better, and just never felt like I measured up in terms of, of prayer time. And I would try and, and you know, make my prayer time longer and more meaningful but then you know you always bump into this passage well you know how do you think you're doing with your prayer time well here's what you need to do just pray all the time and it'd be like ah, I thought I was getting better but now you tell me I'm supposed to pray all the time I'm an absolute and utter failure anybody ever feel like that in your prayer time you know you bump into this one pray continually are you kidding how would I get anything done well obviously he's got more in mind than us being on our knees all the time going our heavenly father you know, there's something else that he has in mind when he says pray continually. Honestly, I think I really spent most of my life missing the heart of that instruction because I've come to understand it's actually a liberating word rather than a burden to be carried. And I'm going to share that in just a moment. And then, of course, he follows that with and give thanks whatever happens. That one always felt a little burdensome, too, a little disingenuous. Well, I, I just want to share with you what has become for me a, just a freeing truth in how this becomes the key to experiencing lasting joy and far less stress. Really just two truths that I'm going to share from this passage. And the first one is this, <clears throat> that prayer, this idea of praying continually, rather than it being a burden to carry, that it's liberating because prayer is the thing that allows us to keep the hardest stuff in God's hands. That as you go through the day, when you bump into the things that tend to stress you out and make you uptight and leave you with that sense of, oh, goodness, how am I going to take care of that? 
How am I going to solve that? How can I even begin to help with this? And it just feels like a little more invisible weight just got laid on your shoulders. That when you live in a, a constant attitude of prayer, which is really more about just an awareness of God's presence and a recognition that God is a part of everything that you do and he's a part of every conversation. And instead of having to go, oh, wait a minute, I forgot. Let me stop and pray about that. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you today. Now, there's nothing wrong with having times when you pray like that, but the reality of praying continually is just being aware, hey, God's here all the time. He's a part of every conversation, and in any moment of time, whenever I'm going, oh, my word, I can't believe that's happening. What am I going to do? That in that moment, because God's a part of that situation, I can just pause and go, oh, thank you, God, that... I don't have to take care of that. Thank you that you're in the middle of that. Thank you that that is yours. Prayer is just constantly keeping the stuff that's really heavy, that belongs to God, in his hands. And by the way, that's not my nature. And because I know most of you pretty well, I know a bunch of you, it's not your nature too. That when we bump into problems, what's our first response? I got to fix this. This is my deal. What am I going to do about this? And prayer is that thing that enables us to always go, hey God, I'm, I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad that you've got this and that you're involved in this. Peter helps to flesh out this concept when he gives us this wonderful truth and the same idea in 1 Peter 5, 7 when he says, give all of your worries and cares to God because he cares about you. It's a picture, a word picture of being unburdened. When you're carrying a load. I've shared with you before that when we were growing up, my mom and dad had the wonderful idea of going from conventional heating and cooling in our house to installing a huge wood-burning stove. Parents, if you want to punish your children, put in a wood-burning stove. It is not a blessing. It is a pain. Feeding that thing through the winter. And, and so, you know, I've told you before, my older brother and I, we, we went by the nicknames Get Wood and Good Load. Because my mom would always say, as the sun was setting in the late afternoon, all right, boys, get wood, and I want a good load. And so we'd be like, get wood, come on, all right, good load, let's go. You know, that was our thing. We'd go, we'd go out to the backyard to the big wood pile, and we'd, we'd have to bring, we'd fill the wood box, and then we'd have to make a stack of wood beside the, the wood-burning stove. And we were lazy, typical teenagers. We, we wanted to make the fewest trips that we possibly could hauling in wood. And so the way to do that, those of you who ever hauled wood, you know this, you can haul a lot more wood if you let somebody help you load up. Because when you're having to load it yourself, it just it gets cumbersome and crazy. But if you can just do this and let somebody stack all that wood on top of you, you can stack it so high you can't even see. And so, you know, that, that would be our thing. You know, the lazy man, the old, old line, lazy man would break his back trying to do it all in one trip. That was my motto. I lived by that growing up. And so I'd always be like, Come on, Vern, load me. That was the other nickname was Vern. So come on, Vern, load me up. And he'd, he'd you know, stack it on there. And, of course, I'd be stupid enough to try, start with more than I needed to carry. Carrying too heavy of a load. I, come on, put one more on there. I can take one more. Just, just one, I don't want to have to come back and get another load. Just give me one more. And, you know, trying to, to balance that and carry that all in the house. And that wouldn't always work out so well. Well, I share that stupid picture with you because the reality is, that's how many of us live our lives. We go through life, whether we realize it or not, like this. Just expecting and prepared for the next heavy thing to come along. And when it does, we just 
set our jaw and say, come on, bring it on. I can take one more. Lay it on there. And life just continues to lay things on us. Finances. More bills than we have resources to pay them. Ooh. An unexpected expense. A big medical bill. Major breakdown at the house. The air conditioner goes out. The vehicle's torn up. Don't know how we're going to pay for that. Another stack of, another piece of wood went on the stack. Relationship crisis. Problem with the kids. Just found out your, your teenagers into something that you didn't know that they were into. That they've gotten sexually involved with their boyfriend or girlfriend. Or suddenly you found out they were at a party and they got high or they got stoned. They got wasted. What am I going to do? Another, another heavy stick of wood just got laid on you. Stress from work. Heavy piece laid on you. Stress in your marriage, another heavy piece laid on you. And it is our human nature to just suck it up and hang on tight and be determined. Come on, I can do this. I can press on through this. And what Peter is saying is God never designed you to live your life like this. That just wears you out. It just builds up stress and pain in your shoulders and your back. And it's a miserable way to live. And what Peter said is, you can cast all of that onto him. Because he cares for you. How do you do that? Prayer. Not, it's not this thing of, oh, you've got to run to your prayer closet. And spend a long time on your knees to do that. Instead of living life like this. If we just live life like this. Saying, God... I can't, but you can. So glad that you've got this. So glad you're in the middle of this. Paul is echoing the same words in Philippians 4 when he says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. And, and it really is that simple. Worry is living life like this. Worry is thinking you've got to carry the load. You've got to solve the problem. You've got to figure it out. You've got to figure out how to pay those bills. You've got to figure out how to fix your marriage. How to get your kids back in line. How you're going to keep your house from being foreclosed on. How you're going to get your career back up and going. This is worry. This is prayer. Prayer is letting go of those things and saying, God, I, I'm just, I'm releasing them to you. Thanks that I don't have to carry that. We can just say that the alternative to giving God our cares and concerns in prayer is consistently worry. So I want to ask you a real simple question. What is it that loads you down the most? And more specifically, what are you carrying today? If you just pause right now, and we're fixing to, if you just pause and do a little self-evaluation, what are the biggest stresses the biggest worries, the most aggravating loads that you carry right now. Would you bow your head with me? Close your eyes. Tune out everything else for just a moment. If you're watching online, I want you to go through the same exercise with me. I want you to consider that question. What is it that worries you the most? What is it that stresses you? What is it that you're carrying that if, if it weren't happening or if it were resolved, you could breathe a little freer? Life would be a little easier. What is that? Okay, I don't want you to pray some long prayer telling God what to do to fix that. 
I only want you to do what Peter said in 1 Peter 5. I want you to cast that care on the Lord because he cares for you. So would you just, if it's, if it's a person, if it's a relationship, would you just name that person and just, just in your mind, just let that go. Just lift an open hand to God, an empty hand saying, God, thank you that you've got that. Would you just, in your heart, would you call the name of that person and say, God, I thank you that you've got this. Maybe it's a son or daughter that you worry or fret about. Maybe it's a grandchild that you're so concerned about. Just call that name and say, God, I'm so glad that today you carry this person. I just hold them up before you and just release them to you. If it's a financial concern, if it's a vehicle that's torn up and needs to be replaced and you can't figure out how you're going to pay for that, whatever it is, if it's something going on with your job, would you just name that and would you just hold that to the Lord? Don't even tell him what he needs to do with it. Would you just release that to him and would you just say, thank you God that you've got that. That today you carry that instead of me. Father, thank you that you've got all of this and that you're not even stressed by that. Thanks that you care about all of these people and all of these circumstances and that you've got it. We release it into your hands. In Jesus' name, amen. That wasn't so bad, was it? That, that wasn't burdensome, was it? To just be able to go, here, you take it. Prayer enables us to do that, to put the heavy stuff back in God's hands. <coughs> Second truth, and I'm only going to share two. Giving thanks is what opens the flow of divine power and blessings. He started out by saying, always be joyful. How? Well, pray continually and give thanks whatever happens. I always had this backwards about Thanksgiving. I thought Thanksgiving was the thing that you were supposed to do after you got what you wanted to get. Then you were supposed to come back and say thanks, right? Isn't that what you learned as a kid? When you get what you wanted, in response, you say thanks. But it turns out there's a much more powerful time and way to give thanks that unleashes power. And it's not after the fact. Paul says give thanks whatever happens. And he ties an interesting line to that. Just another line further down when he says, And do not hold back the work of the Holy Spirit. It's interesting to think that the work of the Spirit, which unleashes the power of God, is tied to our willingness to let go of things to God and to give thanks in the middle of all that. How does all of that work? Well, I go back to Philippians 4 where we just we started that by saying in verse 6, Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. And then Paul goes on to say, Tell God what you need and thank Him for all that He has done. And then, there's an operative word, then. When then? After you've told God what you needed and given thanks for what He's already done. Then you'll experience God's peace, which exceeds anything that we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. How many of you have ever experienced what Paul is talking about there? When you're in the middle of just a rotten set of circumstances, an overwhelming situation, I mean the kind where the wave is going to wipe you out, and 
somehow in the middle of that, you, you managed to turn to God and to just trust God with that, and something came over you. Your circumstance had not changed. The health crisis was still going on. A loved one was still dying. Your child was still in a terrible bind. You're just as broke as can be, and yet something just washes over you and there's just peace in your heart there is calm there is confidence and you can't explain it except one way god god is just here he's all over this he's in me and i i don't know he says it will surpass your understanding it, it'll just almost not make sense to you and people around you're like oh i'm so sorry i'm praying for you i just don't know how you're standing through this and inside you're you're almost kind of laughing because it's like i know it just sort of doesn't make sense because like it's almost like it's not even happening because there's such a peace inside of me. That's Jesus at work. Isn't that good when that happens? Paul said, I can tell you when that happens. When you just take the thing that you could work on and try and fix yourself and you just release it to God and then you start giving thanks. Then the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will fill your hearts. Then and only then. When? After you've given it to God and given thanks. We can say this about giving thanks. That thanksgiving is the opposite of worry. Would you agree with that? That thanks is the opposite of worry. Worry is me trying to figure out, oh, how could this go wrong? Oh, what do I have to do to fix this? And thanksgiving is the opposite of that. Thanksgiving is saying, God, I'm so glad you've got this. I'm so glad that you're in control and you're committed to working this thing out because it matters to me and I matter to you. Thanksgiving and worry are the exact opposite. And here's the, the thing that's so important to understand. That when we give thanks in tough circumstances, we put faith into action. This is a key truth. As I said before, <clears throat> I used to think that Thanksgiving was just an appropriate response after the fact when we got what we wanted. You're supposed to do the nice thing. Be polite. We're good Southerners. Thank you, God. You did what I asked you to do. When instead, we learn to be people of faith who give thanks to God when we can't begin to see how it's going to work out. We don't see the light at the end of the tunnel, or if we do, we realize it's a train coming. You know, We're in the middle of the bind, and still we give thanks to God. That is faith in action, because that is declaring, in spite of my circumstances, I don't believe in circumstances, I believe in the God who supersedes all circumstances and God I give you thanks I give you thanks that you're in control I give you thanks that all of these circumstances are in your hands I give you thanks that you're my shield you're my protector I give you thanks that when the world feels like it's hell all around me I thank you that your name is a strong tower and the righteous can run to it and we are saved God I thank you that you will supply all of my needs according to your riches and glory in Christ Jesus and I thank you that I am in Christ Jesus I thank you that I am in Jesus hands and Jesus says he is in your hands and the enemy cannot snatch me from you I give thanks in all circumstances and when you're in the middle of doing that faith is being unleashed and faith is the key to God's power being poured out when we fail to see the power of God poured out, usually it's because we're not operating in faith. I mean, how many times did Jesus encounter people who had overwhelming needs that medicine and everybody else couldn't help, and Jesus would say to them, because of your faith, you are made well. 
How many times did Jesus say? And if you pray and ask anything believing, if you ask in faith, it will be done. Thanksgiving, when it's done on the front end, is faith put in action. And the power of God is unleashed where faith is expressed. The other thing that, that we'll say about this is, and I want you to, to understand this by recognizing that um, God loves to show us in the natural a bigger truth in the heavenlies. Things that are, that are profound spiritual truths, God will show us in just natural things, that reality. And that's true of this one, that stress and worry, we know that these restrict blood flow, right? I mean, you understand physically that stress causes the, the blood vessels, the arteries to clamp down. And because they clamp down, it causes your blood pressure to spike. My mom had an episode of this where they're dealing with a lot of stressful stuff at home right now. Very difficult situation that they're dealing with. And she doesn't have blood pressure problems. But here a week or so ago, she woke up at 1 or 1.30 in the morning. Some strange symptoms. And when she finally, my dad got up, he took her blood pressure. Uh, it was 215 over 110. I mean, that's stroke level right there. And they got her to the hospital and admitted her and began to address that, came to find out there were no health issues going on there as far as some medical cause for that. Doesn't take a genius to figure this out if you know what's going on in our family situation there. They were living with a lot of stress, and stress can just sometimes be like a, a, a switch that's been tripped, and just suddenly everything, all those blood vessels, or those arteries begin to clamp down, and your blood pressure just starts going crazy high. We can just say at a real simple level that stress and worry restrict the flow of blood and of blessings. Worry will choke down your ability not only to pump blood, which brings all that you need for life physically, but it will choke out the conduit of blessing between God and us. Because worry is, an, you know, we've just said thanksgiving is an expression of faith. Worry is a clear expression of a lack of faith. Worry is saying, I, I'm not sure this is going to happen. I'm not sure God's got this. I believe I've got to take care of this. Worry is a declaration of a lack of faith. And worry, just like it physically chokes out the flow of blood in your body, worry chokes out the flow of what God wants to do in your situation. And when we stop and realize what's going on and go, wait a minute, this wasn't mine in the first place. This is God's. I'm giving it back to you. And God, I just want to thank you. I want to thank you for handling this. I want to thank you for loving me. I want to thank you for your provision in advance. Suddenly, power is unleashed Jesus, when talking about worry, his most famous words were in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, where he said, That's why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. These were certainly concerns of the day 2,000 years ago as an oppressed people. Today he'd be talking to us about other financial concerns. But he said, Don't worry about these things. These things dominate the thoughts of who? Of who? Oh, that's an indictment, isn't it? These things, worries like this, he said, that's what unbelievers do. 
That's what people do who don't know God. You belong to God. So don't worry about these things because your Heavenly Father already knows your needs. Don't worry. Give thanks. I want to just share with you three examples of what I'm talking about. How thanksgiving is the thing that immediately precedes the power of God being unleashed. There are very, very few things that are recorded in all four Gospels other than the death and resurrection of Jesus. The birth of Jesus is not recorded by all four. I mean, just so many profound things that do not get written down four times. And it's understandable why. Jesus did so many amazing things. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John just shared a lot of different stuff. Matthew, Mark, and Luke share a lot of the same stories. John shares very few. But one of the only things that happened that they all four felt like this has got to go on record was the feeding of, of the 5,000. Which is not to be confused with the feeding of the 4,000, which is a very similar story that Matthew and Mark also record in addition to the feeding of the 5,000. And, and it's a misnomer to some extent when we say the feeding of the 5,000 because when you read the accounts, they all tell us it was 5,000 men. They just didn't count all of the women and children who were there with them. So it's probably a feeding of 10,000 or more. And on that day, just to summarize really briefly, Jesus had crossed over the Sea of Galilee. The, the crowds were pressing in to get to them, and they had heard, this is the guy who can heal you and fix your whatever's broken, and so everybody's trying to get to him. And just as a matter of kind of survival and, and having any downtime and, and not just being kind of crushed by the, the crowd and trying to get to the other parts of the country at times, he'd just have to like sneak out or make a quick exit. On this occasion, he hopped in a boat and he crossed over, which as I've told you before, would be kind of like us going down to the bay and jumping in a boat and crossing over to Mobile or to Dog River. It's that kind of distance. It's, it's quite a distance, but it's still the kind of distance that if you watch carefully, you could see where somebody's going and you could see where they landed. That's If you visit the Sea of Galilee, Sea of Tiberias, that's what it's like today. So the crowd, you can just see all of these sick people and hungry, spiritually hungry people and, and disabled people, all of these people with special needs, and they're, and they're pressing in to get to Jesus. And he finally draws the line and says, guys, we've, we've got to break away. They get in a boat and they cross over and the crowd sees this. And so they're like, we've got to get to the other side where they are and there's not enough boats. So let's, let's get busy getting there on foot. Well, you can imagine if we, you know, follow Jesus down to the bay here and we see him set sail and he's going across to Mobile or to Dog River, someplace like that, and we can see where he's going, but, you know, there are no automobiles and we don't have boats, so we're going to have to get there on foot. That would be quite challenging, wouldn't it? But it's, I mean, think about it. It's life and death for you. you you've got a child with a terrible illness or a spouse with a huge disability. They're crippled or, or whatever. It's something huge, and this is probably your one and only chance in life to see that healed, that problem addressed. Are you going to say, well, let's go home and let's pack a few things together. Let's, let's make sure we've got plenty of food for the trip. No. I mean, nobody knows where Jesus is going to take off and go when he gets out of the boat. He's probably hightailing it cross country. So everybody's going as fast as they can on foot around the, the lake. If you can imagine what a huge journey that was. This is why when we get to the, the key moment, when the crowd finally does catch up with Jesus... It's, it's such a classic passage too. They, they catch up and it says, so Jesus told them about the kingdom of God and he healed all those who needed healing. I don't know, that line's just a great line to me. All of you out there who need healing, come on, because I got what you need. And he get just masses, thousands upon thousands, and he healed all who needed healing. That's a great line. And then 
He looks around and he's concerned because he realizes these people are exhausted. They're dirty. They were sick when they started out. They're dragging along their crippled and, and disabled friends and, and relatives. And he just says, wow, a bunch of these people, they're not going to make it back home. They're starving. They've been traveling so far just to get here. We need to feed them. And he says that to Philip. And you remember Philip's response. He's like, what? Feed them? We didn't bring lunch for us. It would take eight months wages to just give one meal to this crowd. And so the disciples, they say, Jesus, you need to send these people home. Send them to the villages. Tell them to go find a Big Mac somewhere. And that's where Jesus turns on the disciples and he goes, no. You give them something to eat. I can just picture this little sly smile on Jesus' face as he goes, uh-uh. You feed them. And then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, looks, and it's the only food they've been able to come up with in the crowd. A, a little boy's sack lunch, maybe a little more than a lunch, may have been enough food to get him through the day. He has five small barley loaves. Don't think, you know, colonial loaves. Think more like, you know, a dinner roll or individual sandwich little loaf. And two, John says, two small fish. This was a meal or rations for a day for one person. And we can understand Andrew's response when he comes back with that. He says, you know, there's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two, the NIV says, two small fish. He follows that by saying, but what good is that with this huge crowd? Wouldn't that be your response? I mean, is there even any point in presenting that to Jesus? You cannot feed a crowd with one little lunch, can you? Not when there's 10,000 people there. Notice what Jesus does. He didn't give a discourse. He didn't wring his hands. He just took the loaves and he gave thanks to God. And then he distributed the loaves to the people. And afterwards he did the same thing with the fish. He gave thanks for the fish and then he distributed them to the people. And then they all ate as much as they wanted. And after everyone was, what? After everybody was full, they didn't play modern day Lord's Supper. Okay, everybody take just a little pinch. We've got a lot of people to feed with five loaves here. No, they ate until they were full, when they were all satisfied. Jesus told the disciples, now gather the leftovers. I just want to laugh when I read that. Leftovers? We started with one sack lunch. We didn't think we'd make it through the first row here. And we've somehow fed all these people. He said, oh no, there's going to be leftovers. See that nothing is wasted. So they picked up the pieces and they filled 12 baskets with scraps left by the people who had eaten the five barley loaves. I know you all know the story. But it ought to stay fresh for us. It's so powerful. All four gospel writers said, we can't leave this one out. It's so huge. Jesus did the same thing with the 4,000, except it was seven little loaves and a few small fish. 4,000 men that day. Seven basketfuls of leftovers on that day. Two events. A total of six accounts. One story told four times, the other story told twice. In all six accounts, the writers are very careful to tell us this exact detail every single time. Jesus took what he had and he just gave thanks. And when he had given thanks, suddenly power was unleashed and little loaves 
filled thousands of bellies. That is not coincidental. When we, instead of fretting and going, oh my goodness, how are we going to do this? This is way beyond our resources. If instead we take what we have and we give thanks to God, guess what happens? A little bit of bread goes a long way. And that bread can be a barley loaf or it can be a George Washington. You know what I'm talking about? It can be bread you eat or it can be bread you put in your wallet. When you give thanks for what you have, when you give thanks for God's provision, it is amazing the miracle that begins to happen. My friend said of, of this passage, he said, it is as though in the giving of thanks, God is healing the bread. You know the scripture says that all of creation, everything in nature longs for the revealing of the sons of God. Now that's a, that's a really significant truth. All of the earth is suffering from the fallenness of man. And it yearns for its redemption. Through Christ but to be revealed through the sons and daughters of God. Because where the sons and daughters of God come in, we unleash the power of God to make things right. And where things aren't right, and where there is want, and where, where there is a desperate need for more, where the sons and daughters of God arrive, and they usher in the kingdom of God, a little bit becomes a lot, because we give thanks and the power of God is unleashed. And in that expression of faith, even in nature, even in just tangible things, God does the miraculous, and it's unleashed in the moment where faith is expressed by giving thanks. I'll remind you quickly of two other stories. John 11, <clears throat> John describes the day when Jesus got word that his dear friend Lazarus was sick and he delayed going to see about him. The disciples thought it was because he was afraid to go to Jerusalem because they knew bloodshed would follow. They were correct. Jesus was going to be crucified just days later when he goes to Jerusalem. Uh, Lazarus had lived just outside of Jerusalem. You know the story. He comes into town and he had delayed long enough. Lazarus had been dead for four days and Martha is upset Mary is grieving and he Jesus is overwhelmed at just seeing all of the, the the loss and the sadness there and we get to the point after even Jesus is shedding tears over this he says show me where you've laid him and they, they take him to the tomb and there's a stone over the mouth of it he says roll the stone away and you know Martha goes no it's going to be a terrible odor after four days but John goes on to say so they took the stone away and then Jesus looked up and said father I thank you that you heard me. Now John didn't tell us what Jesus had already said, what he had prayed. He just tells us the key piece. That he just said, Father, I thank you. I thank you that you heard me. And then when he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out. Don't miss that critical linkage. Jesus is grieving. Anybody ought to grieve when a loved one passes. Something's broken if we don't grieve. Death is still a tragedy. In the middle of his grief, Jesus paused to pray. He stopped looking down at the situation and he looked up to his father in prayer. And in the course of that prayer, he just goes, oh, thank you, Father. Thank you that you hear. Thank you that you're responding. And in that moment of pausing and expressing faith in thanksgiving, he now is able to look and go, Lazarus, get up and come out. And suddenly a dead man is made alive. Thanksgiving is the critical moment. A third thing that I'll mention, and it's certainly relevant today. 
on the night that Jesus was betrayed, one final time, he shared the Passover with his disciples. They had done this many times. They had all received the wine and the unleavened bread of Passover. But on this night, they would receive something unique, something mysterious, something that we have an opportunity to share in that we can't really fully explain because we don't just get juice and, and bread. We encounter Christ at the table. All of the gospel writers record that while they were seated, Jesus took bread and he gave thanks and broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, Take and eat, this is my body. And then he took the cup and gave thanks and offered it to them saying, Drink from it all of you, this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And I know it's easy to go, well of course, it's just a meal. He gives thanks, we give thanks at a meal time. They didn't just get bread and wine that night. They took in something that was profound that carried them through the most difficult season of their lives. When we come to the table, if all we were going to get is a little bit of bread and a little bit of juice, we would never do this again. What's the point of that? We believe, and it's true, that we come and we encounter Christ. And in a way that really does defy easy explanation, we receive something in us. We don't call it tangible grace, but something is imparted to us as we come to this meal of thanksgiving. Jesus set the tone for this. He started with bread and wine. But when he broke it and gave thanks, they're not receiving bread and wine. They're receiving the body and blood. And they're being given something supernatural to sustain them through the misery of that black weekend. When we give thanks, the power of God is unleashed in our circumstances. Paul said, give thanks whatever happens. Now, we tend to think, and, and we've, I've talked today in terms of giving thanks in the face of your most difficult circumstances and, and we need to it is key to be able to give those situations to God and to give thanks to God for his provision in advance it's faith put in action but there are so many ordinary circumstances of life where you can give thanks and see the power of God begin to be unleashed as your faith is expressed in that way I mean think about it as simply as when you come to the table we talk about have you given thanks have you said the blessing, right? Why do we do that? It, it begins to feel at times like a silly ritual, doesn't it? Like we'll say the same thing and it's kind of like, what's the point of that? Did, did anything significant happen? There's something very significant about that. Because even in, the, in that, that moment of just pausing to give thanks and to say, God, I thank you not only that you have provided for me what I need, but I thank you that what you provide for me is going to nourish me and not harm me. I thank you that it's going to satisfy me and not make me have high blood pressure and get fat and have all kinds of problems. That you're going to use this for my good and not for my harm. Some of us may need to rethink the blessing. May need to rethink how to appropriately give thanksgiving in that moment. I want to tell you, there's power unleashed in something as simple as that. Sometimes people are, are just baffled by how hard they try to control what they eat and yet what they eat doesn't bless them. It causes all kinds of problems for them. 
whether it's weight or cholesterol or blood pressure or whatever. One of the fundamental things that we need to get back to is learning how to invoke the blessing. It's not our blessing. It's his blessing as we give thanks. I'll tell you another real simple place that this is applied. And ladies, this applies to all, all in the room, but it especially applies to you because it's such a big issue for, for many of you. When you look in the mirror every day, what do you say in your heart? What do you say in your head? When you look in the mirror, and worse still, and this gets harder for all of us as we get older, when you've stepped out of the shower and you look in the mirror, you see your face and you see your body, what are you saying? Are you cursing what you see? Are you saying, oh, I hate that. I hate that I look that way. I hate the bags under my eyes. I hate the jowls. I hate the... I hate the muffin tops. I hate the. Are you cursing what you see or are you giving thanks? Because I want to tell you, power and blessing is unleashed when we express faith by giving thanks for what God has given. This is such a simple truth. This is the part that many of us will run past. It can't be that simple. You begin to consciously reverse what's going on in your head. When you look at your face, when you look at your body, give thanks to God. God, I thank you that I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I thank you that you made me what I am. I thank you that you've given me health, that you've given me strength, that you've given me this body. I thank you that you're taking what I am and you're transforming me more and more into what you want me to be. And I thank you for that transformation that's taking place. Watch what happens. Put it into practice and watch the power of God begin to be poured out in your life. Give thanks in all circumstances. Now I'll say it's kind of a silly humorous aside. We've talked about it in the big heavy stuff. I want to tell you that the give thanks in all circumstances, it really does apply in all circumstances. I've been, boy, for the last several weeks, been really meditating on this and really trying to put it into practice, but especially this week as I've been preparing toward today, and, and this has been much on my mind. And so yesterday, I'm just going to share a couple of silly ones with you just to tell you it, it does apply in all circumstances. Yesterday, I'm out watering in the yard. We've, in the work we're doing, we've transplanted and planted about 70 bushes in our yard. So there's a ton to be watered. I'm sick of bushes. So I'm out watering the bushes I can't believe I'm sharing this but I'm going to anyway as I'm watering the bushes a bird just poops on me just right down the back of my shirt just I mean the he must have been eating blackberries too I mean it's just and I'm wearing one of my favorite shirts and just I'm just like oh just want to say things that I shouldn't say and so I'm like I'm trying to get all this cleaned off and I am not happy about that. I am not kidding you. It is not five minutes later, another one hits me. I'm like, I don't know if I've been pooped on three times in my entire life, and I've been pooped on twice in five minutes. Jackie and Morgan are, are on their, at the time, they were on the road to Tuscaloosa, and she was texting me, and so I'm in the process of watering and texting back. I'm like, I probably shouldn't say what I but I texted, holy crap, you're not going to believe what just happened to me. And I'm, I'm just texting my frustration to her. And boy, I just felt the, the nudge of the Holy Spirit going, how's that give thanks in all circumstances going? <laughs> Don't you love it when he does that? And I put my phone back in my pocket. And it's, you know, it's like 
Are you serious about this thing? Do you give thanks in all circumstances? I know how stupid this is going to sound. You're going to sound like, you're probably going to say, you're just trying to be Pollyanna. This is stupid. I'm like, all right, if this is reality, it should apply in all circumstances. And I'm like, all right, how do you give thanks when a bird just pooped on you twice? I'm like, God, I thank you for the birds. I thank you for the trees. I thank you for the beauty of where I am. And, and boy, as I just started to pray and give thanks, it just started dawning on me. God, I thank you that the biggest problem I have this afternoon is poop on my hand and poop down my back. And if bird poop down my back is the biggest struggle I have today, it has been a great day. Thank you for a great day. Thank you for it. Honest to goodness, within a couple of minutes, I found myself just laughing inside. Now, I moved to a different tree, I, I will tell you, because I realized there were a bunch of birds in that tree, but I'm like, suddenly there was no anger, there was no frustration in that anymore. Went to bed last night, had a miserable night. I was just up with, through a lot of the night with just strange pain that I didn't understand what was going on, still don't know what's going on, and so just missed a lot of sleep last night and just finally got up this morning and going through my routine to get ready and I'm, I'm needing to move on to my final run through on the sermon and, and I get a text on my phone that says capital one fraud alert and it starts listing my, somebody's hacked my credit card and they've been ch running charge after charge today started the day with that and I'm like oh yeah <laughs> gonna be a banner day <laughs> And once again, the Holy Spirit's like, how about that? Give thanks in all circumstances. And you know, it just, it, it was like second nature at that point. I'm like, oh, Jesus, I thank you that you've got this. I thank you that my body is yours, and my health is yours, and the stuff that I was stressing about during the night, I don't have to worry about that. I thank you that you're taking care of me. I don't have to worry about what's hurting or what what's, doesn't seem right. That, that I don't have to worry about my health. And what's the worst that could happen? If something were to go wrong and I got... Drop dead today. Thank you that I'm yours. Thank you, God, that my finances are yours and I don't have to worry about this stuff, that you are my supply. And again, the load is just gone in a moment of time. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks, whatever happens. This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And don't choke out the work of the Holy Spirit. I'll close with something that I can post for you. Sometimes it's help, helpful in understanding truth to, to say the truth in reverse. So I've given you the uh, 1 Corinthians 5, 16 through 19 in the WCFV. That is the worried control freak version of the Bible. If we take those words where Paul says, always be joyful, pray continually, give thanks, whatever happens, that's what God wants for you in Christ Jesus. Don't hold back the work of the Holy Spirit. If we said that in reverse, here's the truth in reverse. Never be joyful. Well, how do you make sure you're never joyful? Instead of praying, solve your own problems and give thanks only when good things happen. That's not what God wants for you in Christ Jesus. And then you will consistently hold back the work of the Holy Spirit. Well, there you go. Isn't it scary how many times that's how we live life? Well, I'm going to give thanks, but I'm going to give thanks when I, I get what I prayed for or tried for. And I'm going to try and solve my own problems. Because God helps those who help themselves, right? Man, there's a lot of stuff that gets wired into us that's pretty screwed up. The truth of the matter is, God does care about you. He wants to unleash his power to bring help. He wants you to have real joy, and he wants to carry the load so that you're not overwhelmed with stress. And it really does start by just continually through the day, just giving back to him those people and situations that he can handle. And 
in a faithful way, giving thanks in advance for what he's going to do. Would you join me as we go to him together in prayer? Father, thank you that you are so good. Thank you that you lavish on us what we don't deserve. Thank you that you carry the heavy stuff and that you're willing to carry even the light stuff. I pray that today you would lift loads, that you would lighten burdens, and that you would give joy, peace, and that sweet sense of your presence where it's needed in lives all across this room and people watching and listening online. We receive that by faith and give thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.